Welcome to Nano Matters, the podcast that explores examples of nanotechnology. I'm Lisa Friedersdorf, Director of the National Nanotechnology Coordination Office. Here with me today is Thomas Epps III, the Allen and Myra Ferguson Distinguished Professor of Chemical and Biomolecular Engineering with a joint appointment in Material Science and Engineering at the University of Delaware. So Thomas, can you tell us a little bit about your research? Yes, I'd be happy to. First of all, thank you very much for having me. So our research really focuses on polymeric materials. We're very interested in understanding structure, property, and processing relationships. In particular, how it relates to nanoscale materials and how we can form different types of nanostructures. We do this for a wide variety of applications, everything from lithium-ion battery membranes to designing materials for drug delivery and gene therapy, in particular stimuli-responsive materials. We also look at electrospinning of composites such as polymer MOF, metal organic framework composites for chemical warfare agent remediation, nanotemplating of thin films for electronics applications, And most recently, we've been very much focused on sustainable materials, in particular materials that can come from bio-derived feedstocks. Can you tell us a little bit more about these sustainable polymers? How are you developing them and what are the potential applications? Yes, I'd be happy to. When you think about bio-based materials, There's a lot of research that has gone into sustainable feedstocks for everything from bio-based ethanol to some polymers, such as, for example, uh, polylactide-type materials. And these sorts of, of polymers and chemicals typically come from cellulose and hemicellulose, for example, that I can get from corn and other sources. One of the key things, one of the key structural components that is in most plant matter is lignin. If you think about trees, that's what helps to keep that tree upright. And typically what happens is that material is considered a recalcitrant waste. And so it's burned or thrown away in the landfill. And one of the things we've been particularly interested in is can we break that material down in a economic and more environmentally friendly fashion such that we can use those products from that lignin to actually make polymers. And the polymers that we're interested in are alternatives to things like polystyrene and and you know polystyrene from that styrofoam that you would have in your your cups or your packing peanuts. But also then, can we make things like pressure-sensitive adhesives? So one of our key test cases was actually making a pressure-sensitive adhesive that performed just as well as some commercial materials. And even things like looking at, can we make materials that can be used as 3D printing resins for additive and advanced manufacturing applications? So really using these uh, lignin-based polymers for improved performance and some of the, what we call performance advantage properties that we can get from these systems. Can you give an example of something you and your colleagues have discovered about these materials that surprised you? Yeah, I think one of the key things that we've learned is that for anyone who's very well-versed in polymer science, when you think about making some of these designer polymers, you always think of, I need a very clean feedstock with only one monomer. 
I would never consider using something from basically lignin or essentially the equivalent of a sawdust type material. What we found is that we're actually able to use our knowledge of chemical engineering and uh, catalytic processes to deconstruct that lignin and actually use that without uh, a lot of separations to actually make monomers and polymers in an efficient fashion. So, so I guess one of the key things is that we can take something that if you looked at it, you would literally say is a dirty feedstock and quickly and efficiently turn that into uh, some high performance polymers. And equally as important is that we have really figured out, and this has been a key advance, is how to predict the structure property relationships. And what I mean by that is quite compelling in the following sense. So if I go out to a field and I see corn stover, we can quickly decide what type of polymeric material we can make from corn stover versus if I see a poplar tree or sorghum or used peanut shells. And so we really understand what comes from the different materials and how we can plug those in to make next generation polymers and and composites. So do you apply any of the principles or the strategies that fall under the conceptual framework of the Material Genome Initiative? Would you talk about prediction of structure property relationships? It leads my mind to the MGI. Yeah. So in this particular case, things can't be done without a team. And not only my research group, but also some of our collaborators at the University of Delaware and elsewhere, where we can do things like machine learning. So we can start to understand, for example, what types of catalysts have what types of effects on different lignans. What are the actual relationships between the compositions of the lignin and the thermal properties of a material. So for example, the glass transition temperature or the melting temperature of the material, or even some of the rheological properties such as the viscosity of the material. We can do some of that experimentally, but what we're really looking to do is actually take some of that data and feed it into, for example, some machine learning uh, routines that some of our colleagues are developing so that then we can predict what the output properties are and learn how to link things like a feedstock to a specific product. Can you share maybe a challenge that you encountered that you didn't expect and how you overcame that challenge? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the key challenges is the monomers aren't necessarily clean. So basically, if you think about lignin, I can get it from a variety of different places, and it's been processed differently, whether it comes from, say, a pulp and paper mill, whether it comes from a biorefinery. And so understanding that our feedstock is not the same every time, which means it's not going to give the same product. So how can we develop a process that doesn't just take one monomer and make one polymer, but can take an entire series or suite of monomers and make a polymer with consistent properties each time? And so that's that's one of the major challenges, and that's getting back to your question about the materials genome. That's where it becomes very important to understand those links between that starting material Are there quick sort of testing, fingerprinting things we can do to understand what's in that starting material so we can easily link that to the performance properties of that output polymer? So what are the future directions for your work? Where are you going to take your research next? 
So there are a couple things that we're doing that we're really excited about. So one of the things is really leveraging some of our collaborations with economic analysis and life cycle assessment. So it's nice to be making a material from a sustainable feedstock. But when we're making that material, we still have to be concerned about things like wastewater generated during that process. What is the electricity and energy usage? what solvents are being used in that process. And one of the things we're really looking at is how we can use that economic analysis to help us hone in on which parts of the process we need to do a bit more research on. One of the other things that we found that's actually quite nice is that my group is very focused on polymeric materials. However, we were able to spin off a startup company called Lignolics, and that company's really focused on the valorization of lignin. The company's actually more looking at small molecules that can be used in a variety of industries. So everything from additives to fine chemicals, where there's a need to have these materials be bio-based, and also there's a consumer sentiment to do that. And so the company has really done things like make the processes more efficient, whether that's the deconstruction, the separations, et cetera, and using those to really add value to what would be something that's typically burned or considered a waste product. Well, Thomas, I just want to thank you so much for chatting with us today and telling us more about your research. It's very exciting to think about polymers from biomolecules. I'm just very excited about the work that you're doing and thank you for sharing it with us. Do you have any closing thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, I think one of the things that I would like to just get across is that, you know, it is a very collaborative space. So it's wonderful in our group when we can make a new polymer that has better properties, uh, a better mechanical stability or uh, better thermal stability or is more adhesive. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's ever going to become an actual product that's manufactured on a commercial level. And so it really takes the opportunity for us and all researchers to really think about and collaborate with folks that can help with what is the manufacturability, what is the scale up, what is the life cycle assessment look like, and really start thinking about how to incorporate that into our research plans. That's something we found has been quite fruitful in allowing us to have a significant impact. Oh, 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 oh,